but um, I seen it and it was all I needed to see. And it's pure evil. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to tell you anything graphic about it. I'm just going to tell you the premise of it. And I want to show you where America's mindset is today. This is why when you and I go out and preach the words of life, all they know is death. This is why. Because their mind and their brain is consumed with death. The glorification I am state. seeing something on the screen and repulsed by it. I am sitting there dreading another needle in the eyeball. I am dreading another incision across the scalp and the peeling back of the scalp. That's dread. That is not horror, and that's not entertainment. It is dread. This is some of the Hollywood writers. It's simply appalling. The uh, night of the living dead, you know, the chainsaw massacre, this horrible stuff, the blood and gore. You, you don't want to focus on your life on that. If you have horror movies and wicked movies in your home, those are gateways for Satan. I don't know. We were just sitting there for a while watching it, and I was like, you know, this is just fucking disgusting. There's no plot. <laughs> it's just horses going at it. But somewhere in there, there's supposed to be a horror movie about a monster that's chasing a woman through the woods. It's like a short movie. I think it's French, which only what? compounds the disgust. Wait, yeah. it was French? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's like it's called The Beast Button or something like that, but it's got like a French name like La Bestiar fucking, Wait, I don't know. Hey, are you talking about the 1950s, The Beast? No, no, this is uh, mid to late 60s, I believe. Are you serious? This seems like a fairly well-respected movie. Because French and made in the 60s. Googling monster movie, The Beast French Horse Sex. It's called Liberté. It's a 1975 <laughs> X-rated French pornographic erotic fantasy horror film. Something about the relationship between a beast and a woman. Here, let's let's crack open Wikipedia and just get that whole thing. That's... <laughs> It's a 1975 X-rated French pornographic erotic fantasy horror film written, <laughs> edited, and directed by Walerian Borowiczuk. A genius Although, who also happened to be a pornographer. I clicked on his Wikipedia page, and he's <laughs> listed as a Polish film director described by film critics as a genius who also happened to be a pornographer. Oh, well, I, he's got one of those boxes checked for sure. <laughs> Although sometimes compared to Beauty and the Beast, there are no parallels in the plot except that it features a relationship between a beast and a woman. Although the film was notorious for its explicit sexual content upon its initial release, it is now considered a cult film. Yeah, no, it's just not happening. Incredible. But yeah, so there you go. There's a little bit of film history for you. Welcome to the 49th episode of the Horror Explorer podcast. This is a podcast determined to turn people on to horror movies they might have never seen or even heard of, like that one. We like to focus on VHS era horror that most younger horror fans aren't aware of and some of the more obscure or unusual horror that's come out since. I'm Mike, I'm your host, and this week we've only got Jordan. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And Critical Dave. Hello, everyone. I had to mute my mic uh, for a second. I'm sorry. Uh, Alicia is not here this week. Perhaps that was a good decision on her part. <laughs> no, uh, there's some kind of holiday down there in Australia, and she's gone off to some wilderness area with no internet. So, no Alicia this week. Every week I make these three, well, this time these two, watch one of those older, more obscure movies that most people their age haven't seen or heard of. Usually something I like. 
usually, because the whole point of this podcast is to make younger horror fans aware that the best new horror movie that they see this year could be a movie from 30 years ago that they didn't even know existed. This week, Mike made us watch Metamorphosis, The Alien Factor. Fun fact, this was originally supposed to be a sequel to The Deadly Spawn, which you guys both saw when we did an episode on it a long time ago. Did you guys like that movie? I think uh, I, I remember liking it. Well, the thing is, you know, this is Ted A. Bohas, I think was the guy's name, something like that. Uh, he's the same producer, and they were given so much money this time around to make the sequel that they were afraid that actually attaching it to The Deadly Spawn, which was a really low-budget movie, would reduce the movie's success. So they reworked it into the movie that we watch today. And you can look and try to find stuff in there. You know, maybe in your head you can make a link between it and The Deadly Spawn, but there's really no direct link to it whatsoever. And in this movie, this time around, a guard gets eaten by something in a lab, and when he doesn't come home, his daughters and one of their boyfriends decide to investigate. Meanwhile, at the lab, we're given a lengthy flashback of how events unfolded, revealing that the military, corporations, and scientists have managed to fuck it all up once again, unleashing an alien terror that must be stopped. Yes, it's another one of those science is evil, military and corporations are evil movies, much like Alien or Blade Runner or the, what's the – there's another one that's a, re- a really big name, Robocop. Yeah, that's another one. Oh, yeah. yeah. It seems like almost every horror movie, there's something in there about corporations, the military or science just mm-hmm. going too far and putting humanity at risk. But uh, we'll see what these guys have to say about metamorphosis, the alien factor, right after this. <laughs> If you would like to contact us here at the Horror Explorer Podcast, you can reach us via email at horrorexplorerpodcast at gmail.com, or you can interact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash horrorexplorer, or follow us on Twitter at horrorexplorer. All right, we're back, and once again, Critical Dave, you get to start us off. Okay, so starting us off, I'm going to start us off right where the movie starts off, with the Starfield. We start off moving through a Starfield, moving forward in space until we reach a planet. And this is very similar, perhaps coincidentally in this case, to one of Mike and my favorite films called The Thing from 1982, which I'm sure a majority of our listeners are familiar with. And at first, I did not catch this similarity to the opening of The Thing, because The Thing also opens with a star field. But there are huge similarities throughout this film to The Thing, except all of the similarities are relatively subtle. So did you guys pick up on any of the similarities between The Thing and this film, aside from the opening? Well, I mean, they uh, they share some really vague similarities, you know, like uh the alien DNA getting into people and changing them and stuff like that. I mean, I see how you could draw a comparison between the two. I don't think it was a uh intentional thing. I think those are just kind of common tropes after the thing came out. A lot of movies went into that kind of detail sure. about, you know, cells and DNA and crap like that. Yeah, I think this movie you could see say that I think the thing heavily influenced it, but I don't know if you could say they were, like, ripping off the thing. Oh, no. I wouldn't say they're ripping it off. I'd say they're paying homage to the thing. That's not how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I, oh, well. I would agree with that. You guys are thinking in terms of plot and narrative right now, and I believe the narrative in its similarities to the thing is likely just coincidental because the thing was such an influential film that so many films are their narratives are so similar. But I'm talking about in terms of the style 
of the film and various technical things that this film does. There are certain things, for example, when the man is mutating into the monster, his head is like lifting off of its body and tentacles are flailing around on his chest exactly like the thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I said, there's some similarities there. I don't know if it's... uh identical but i mean you can see that there's definitely some uh similarity with the tentacles like when the tentacles come out of the dog and the thing and stuff like that like they might have used a similar technique or something like that but i mean this is so this is like two orders of magnitude lower than the thing so it's kind of hard to draw those comparisons solidly no i know i'm well aware of that i'm not comparing it to the thing in any way i'm just saying they tried to imitate the thing they fail in their imitation in many ways as i will get into but i actually have more evidence for this at least paying homage to the thing for example the very first time we see the alien or we see through a character's eyes the alien we see the girl who sees the monster run into a hall and the hall is it's all white light it's all indoor bland light throughout the entire film aside from a few flashes of red aside from this moment when there is a light coming from the alien not from the alien but from where the alien would be pointed towards the girl that's blue and it's a very obviously a theatrical light placed there because it doesn't mold into the, the setting there very well. The light like stands out as artificial. So, but why would they do that? Why not just keep the lighting exactly the same as the rest of the film, the rest of the 99.9% of the film? They only do this blue light once. And that moment is when she sees the alien for the first time. And as well, you we didn't, know, you kind of skipped around. So I don't know when you're talking about exactly. Like what's the scene? The scene she sees is, it for the first time. Which alien? I mean, there's the younger there's a variety girl, of things. The younger girl sees the main monster for the first time. And that's the first time we have gotten a full view of the main monster. Standing up. Yeah, I don't, I just don't recall there being any blue light or anything like that. So, I mean, uh, I'd have to, I'd have to watch it again. And I'm not really inclined to do that. It just really stood out to me because it was so different from the lighting and the rest of the film. And blue light is one of the key characteristics of the lighting in the thing. Yeah. Well, I, one thing I did notice towards the beginning that definitely reminded me of the thing, although it's a trope that you find in a lot of, you know, eighties or VHS era movies is the computers in this movie are way too intelligent and way too capable. Like the computer's <laughs> yeah. talking to the security guard right at the beginning and stuff like that. And I noticed that oh, right yeah. off the bat. And the, the first thing that comes to mind is the thing, because, you know, Blair's doing all that cell biology stuff with the computer. It's like, no, you're not doing that with a Commodore 64. Also, I hate to stay on this topic. Actually, I don't. When the one of the bodyguards runs up... Is this attack- more about the lighting? No, no. Okay. When he runs up to attack the... A giant monster. The giant monster uses its like mouth with teeth. Much remember the blood test scene from the thing. Yeah, when Palmer's yes. the thing. Yeah, when his head bursts and turns into like a giant mouth and grabs the guy's head and lifts him up in the, into the air while his feet flail on the ground and blood spills onto the ground. That's in the yeah. thing. Yes, that is in the thing. But in this, the monster grabs the guy's head in exactly the same way, and we cut to a shot of the guy's feet 
dangling in the air, slowly being lifted up as blood spills onto the ground, which is the exact same shot composition as the shot from the blood test scene in the thing. It's uh, um, like it's pretty much lifted directly from the thing. It's not as effective as the thing because of the lack of surrounding context, but it's the exact same shot. Affirmative, Dave. I yeah. meet you. Okay, okay. So uh, it's just these similarities really jumped out at me. Yeah, there's definitely some similarities there. I mean, I will concede that. I, You know, you, you usually jump to like, well, it's an homage or they're ripping it off or something like that. You know, I, I don't necessarily – I mean, it takes a lot for me to believe that they're just trying to pay homage to a movie. Mm-hmm. For me, it was because the shot type was so exact. Like, and the blue lighting was only in that one moment. So that means somebody intentionally put it there, you know? All right. All right. Anyway, so something I noticed in this film was its use of space and its use of set because it was really bizarre. Normally movies that are like in one location that try to be like claustrophobic and create a sense of fear through that claustrophobia and disorientation have a good sense of space. For example, the thing has lots of long tracking shots that really establish the space. In this film, every hallway seems and every room seems very disconnected. And that kind of threw me off because it made it seem very amateur-ish. Did you guys have that same feeling? I felt like the hallways were basically interchangeable mostly. Like mm-hmm. almost just there was a lot of like padding shots almost where they're just walking down a hallway for no reason or like that no appearance. Yeah. There's quite a bit of that going on. And it was excruciating when that happened. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Yeah. So at first I thought it's intentional disorientation, but uh, no, did not turn out to be like that. Just turned out to be, they only had one hallway. So let's reuse it as many times <laughs> as possible. Yeah. They yeah. shoot it, they shoot it going one way or the other back and forth to make it look like different corridors, but it's yes. probably so, always the same I'm, corridor. And yeah. Sometimes bothered. you'll get like an angle of a corner, but <laughs> also they shot it. Yeah. They shot a different angle as in it's just why, why you said you had more money. Why would you do this? But, <laughs> well, by more money, what they had for this movie was 1.3 million. Oh, okay. So I guess they could only afford like a student film set. Anyway, something interesting, something interesting this movie does that draws parallels to another 80s film called Night of the Comet is its use of background audio to convey specific details for often for comedic purposes. If we get this in towards the very beginning when the older sister is about to have sex with the boyfriend on the couch and on yeah. the TV there's some did you guys pick up on this yeah, yeah there's like a horror movie on TV and it's very loud it's every exactly. time they go to this background audio thing it's overdone there's too much of it often it's unnecessary and doesn't add anything in this case okay a horror movie haha it's a horror movie so it's a horror movie on tv haven't seen that before no but uh you know like the the way the alarm will talk uh there's one scene where kim is locked in a lab where like they they're keeping her for safekeeping and she's just sitting at a keyboard tapping on it and every time she taps the keyboard the computer says something to her like oh that's not a good input and all this other stuff there was way too much background sound too much radio too much tv too much alarm it was overdone and i thought it detracted from the movie i 100% agree 
However, in this scene, I would say it works almost as well as Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet does the same thing that you just said, except more subtly. Here in this opening scene, they replicate Night of the Comet pretty well. Because it's not just that there's a horror movie on while they're making out. It's the fact that there's audio coming from the horror movie that's saying stuff like thrusters at maximum. There's stuff oozing from the tent. And like a bunch of like sex stuff like (laughs) during the sex scene and when the sister the other sister walks in and they like stop making out and are like oh my gosh oh my gosh they're on the tv it says looks like we're not going to make it and stuff (laughs) along those lines and abort mission stuff like that so i found that amusing well i'm glad you got some value out of that (laughs) because it it was the audio it wasn't just the fact it was a horror movie it was the um Dialogue, not dialogue, but like dialogue coming from the diegetic film, if that makes yeah. sense. Okay. I, yeah. I didn't like it because it seemed to assume a place in the foreground. Uh, right, right. It's not in the background. It's not part of the environment like it is in Night of the Not Gun. subtle. It's not subtle. Exactly. Yeah, I, I still found this scene amusing, but the hundredth time it happens, it's no longer amusing. So another thing that this scene with the like, pseudo sex scene what it establishes is terrible performances because yeah everybody's performance is so bad it's everything is super theatrical the pauses are not correct everything's overdone or underdone and you oh, guys yeah. what do you guys think about this what yeah, all the actions uh there's yeah. like no not enough hand movements or gestures when people are talking too little ones way too stiff and they don't seem to react to each other at all Mm -hmm. no it's almost like phoned in even i I don't think it is phoned in i just think it's a lack of ability on literally everybody's part but no yeah uh one thing that particularly stood out to me with the acting was uh when michael so what goes on here is this guy this guard disappears from his job and his kids go here's his kids go looking for him and uh, what? then you get a flashback that tells you what happened. And uh, what had happened is some scientist was doing some science stuff. And he got he got bitten by one of the things they were working on. And, like, it gave him some kind of an infection. You got hepatitis. And he, <laughs> uh, he starts turning into an alien. And he has this long, painful transformation where he's just, like, strapped to a hospital bed. And through the whole thing, I mean, the one thing that was well done in this movie, as far as the acting goes, is whoever did the voice acting for Michael's transformation, you know, it goes on for weeks and weeks of him just like, oh, oh, like just in constant agony. Whoever did that did a great job and it really conveyed like sympathy for how much pain he was and everything like that. But they kind of shot themselves in the foot because the whole time they're doing all these tests and stuff on him, he's just in total and complete agony, making all these horrific tortured noises and, you know, the one scientist there is his girlfriend, and none of them react to it with any sympathy whatsoever. They're just totally cold to the situation. And that's the way it is through the whole movie. When, no matter what's going on when people are interacting, it's like they just one person says their lines, then the next person says their lines. They don't interact and they don't react to each other. Not only that. The writing in his transformation montage where the two scientists, the lady scientist and Elliot, the male scientist, their whole interchange, it's excruciating. Because the female scientist, first of all, it's her fault. 
that he gets infected. <laughs> she like kisses him and distracts him, and like oh, he's yeah. like doing this delicate procedure, like with like, <laughs> injecting this alien thing, and it's all her fault. And then she just stands there and does nothing while he's bitten. He has to tell her a billion times to pour acid on his hand while well, she's just standing there in shock. And also, for a minute there, this kind of struck me as this could be like one of those workplace safety videos where they tell you not <laughs> yeah. to horse around. Like she runs up and she's covering his eyes while he's working on some toothy monster in a little cage or whatever, you know, and she's kissing him and stuff while he's got his hands in there with this thing that, you know, obviously is meant to bite people because it's got all these teeth. Yeah. And it just, it, lo- it was so well, dramatic and so ridiculous that it looked like something you see in a workplace safety video. Well, his reaction is so great too because he like picks that thing up and he like can't pull his hands out of this glass case, <laughs> that glass containment case he has it in. So he's like swinging the case all around with both his hands stuck in it and he just like smashes it. Oh, <laughs> so funny. So unintentionally yeah, it's like, just. It's like one of those little sandblasting, miniature sandblasting booths or something that they use for working on stuff that you can't contaminate with the gloves built into it. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. just shatters the living shit out of <laughs> shatters it. Shatters to a million pieces. <laughs> also, something with going back to the female scientist is she does absolutely nothing the entire film. She never does any well, science. Well, no, let's not say nothing because she does deliver a lot of technical jargon that's utterly meaningless. Mm-hmm. A lot of she, she does supply the film a lot just by speaking a bunch of scientific quote unquote terms. Back to back, yeah. so she's useful yeah, she for that. Me, but. I'm a scientist. But just when she does science stuff, she's never doing science stuff. Like when she goes in to like make out with the guy, she's looking at the rabbit. She's like talking to the rabbit. She's like, "How are you today, Mister Rabbit?" Instead of like doing anything else. Also, during the whole transformation montage, she just like sleeps while the male scientist <laughs> is making the laser, yeah. and then yeah. yeah Explain the whole laser to her, the whole laser system, and then at a different time, Elliot or the infected guy is lying on bed and like screaming and like going insane, and Elliot is asleep on top of a pile of papers because he's been doing so much work, and she's in the background taking notes or something, and there's horrible screaming that's like escalating in volume and intensity going on, but she's just sitting there, and it takes the male scientist time to wake up and he wakes up and then he's like oh my god what are you doing get over here and help me and she's awake she should have noticed this she should have noticed this intense thing going on because she's standing there she doesn't even have headphones in and she just does nothing the whole film and it's almost sexist the way it's written but yeah because she's so incompetent she does deliver all the flashback material though yeah she does she's like just basically a narrator yeah, exactly. She's there as a foil, like as a reflection of the audience. She does absolutely nothing. And actually, once the male scientist wakes up, her first line of dialogue in the scene is, Elliot, do something. <laughs> Telling the guy, <laughs> do something. While she stands there doing nothing. It's, it's shocking. It's just mind-boggling how incompetent her character is. It's ridiculous. But I haven't even talked about the male scientist yet. So the male scientist, his, he's a comedic actor. All of the his, one, you're, We're not talking about the one that gets bitten. We're talking about the guy they call in to help. Right, to help the Elliot. female scientist who's so incompetent. So Yeah, that's Elliot. Yeah. So what he does is... <laughs> He does not take the situation seriously. This guy has horrible, like, blisters and mutations going on 
on his hand and he walks in and he's like, oh God, I can't believe they called me in for this. I'm so tired. This is such a waste of time and blah, blah, blah. He goes on and on about this. And then she says, the male guy, the female scientist says, thank God Elliot's still there. And I'm like, what the hell? He hasn't done anything. He's a comedic actor. And at one point, the infected guy is struggling in horrible pain, making those sounds you mentioned. And the male scientist completely undermines that with his performance because he checks his watch while this guy is struggling in pain. And yeah, it's, it's just a big plot hole to the whole thing is that they're not, they're not interacting with him. They don't seem to care. They're both incompetent, but they're scientists. It's, uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. Very much so. And it's, it leads me to believe this was supposed to be a horror comedy. I got a very horror comedy vibe to this. However, the comedy was not really funny, aside from when it was unintentionally funny. And through most of the movie, like the first three quarters of the movie, there aren't very many attempts at comedy either, thankfully. Yeah, thank yeah, God. This movie is confused as to what it wants to be almost because there are scenes where like it forgets to take itself seriously. But yeah, the first part is so serious and so played straight. It just feels really incongruous when the comedy does finally kick in. And then yeah. the comedy falls so flat mostly that the parts where they just whiff dialogue is more unintentionally funny. Definitely. And also something else that was really bizarre to me about this film was the casting choices because they get two bodyguards to play like the muscle of the evil corporation. And by the way, the evil corporation guy sounds like Dracula the whole time. (laughs) No, no, man. The evil corporation guy through like the first half of of his lines, he sounds like he's trying to imitate Mr. Deltoid from uh, Clockwork Orange. Oh, true, true. That Like that really annoying, fast-paced British accent. Did you guys find it so fucking funny when he's trying to intimidate somebody and deliver an intimidating line? Because he's just like this hunched over 75-year-old man and is like, (laughs) he's totally not confident in his delivery, so anytime he's just trying to intimidate, it just I was just rolling. I was convinced he was a famous actor from some old science fiction thing from 70s or 80s or maybe even 50s, but he's nobody. This is nobody in this movie is anybody. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's this movie was directed by the guy who did the special effects from Dudley Spawn. I mean, special effects people can be good directors. Just look at James Cameron or what's his name? The guy who did Joe Dante. I think sure. Joe got his start in his Well, if they did specialize. Point being, though, is like they, they, it seems like he just pulled someone out of Deadly Spawn, had him direct this movie. It seems like they didn't, they didn't go for, they obviously didn't attempt to get anyone who was very talented at what they do. Apart from some of the special effects, people must have been pretty good. But mm-hmm. other than that, it's just garbage. Yeah. Even the editing is bizarre because we get a scene. And after the scene, if the scene is taking place in the same location, just at a different time, we cut to a random shot of a hallway or random shot of a monster. And I'm fine. I appreciate the random shots of the monsters because that's at least something to look at. But then we just cut right back to the scene in the office. So much of just standing around and talking. And that's fine if you're Quentin Tarantino, but... This film, the cinematography and dialogue is so bland or so poorly delivered that it's boring. 
Yeah, it does bore you quite a bit. Even, you know, one thing I noticed about this film, it seemed like they were trying to build it up and, like, bring the climax pretty much in the middle and just make it last through the rest of the movie. And instead, it felt like they just kind of built it up a teeny tiny bit and got to kind of, like, a moderate amount of tension and then just kept it at that. And even that waned throughout the movie. So even towards the end, when some of the action sequences are going on, when it's supposed to be building tension, you feel kind of bored. Definitely, definitely. It does feel like they tried to make the third act half the film. And I didn't Mm -hmm. really think about this until you just mentioned it. But it's such a drawn-out third act that the tension dissolves. And Mm -hmm. it's just too much, too many variables going on. It's very convoluted. The monster kills somebody off, and then the person reappears in two scenes later, which happens twice. It happens twice. It happens twice. It's ridiculous. Why would you do that? And there's well, so many attempts at tension. I just wanted to bring this up. You're talking about the, the tension towards the end. Like, there's a scene where they get caught at the end of a hallway and no one has their security pass to get through the door. So he's going to turn around and go and get his. Oh, there's the monster. So he's going to shoot at it. Oh, he's out of bullets. Meanwhile, the the chick who's supposed to be some kind of a hacker or computer expert is taking apart this panel on the security pass thing with a nail file and working on it and working on it. And they drag that out, her sitting there crossing wires and sparking for like a minute and a half. And then by the time the door opens, you don't even care anymore. There is no tension. And then they get inside this room. They try to set up more tension with the, the laser that's supposed to kill the monster or turn it back into a person. You know, two or three times they do that, keep trying to build tension, and it doesn't work. They end up losing any chance they have of building tension or creating a sense of horror or anticipation. Also, speaking of the sister being the computer hacker expert, when she's quote-unquote hacking into the computer all she's doing is trying different passwords (laughs) yeah yeah i wrote that down in my notes i was like wait she's she's talking she's she gives a line about how she's a computer expert and how she can break into stuff and she's just typing like six one four four six one four five literally says this could take a while (laughs) (laughs) this also i don't know if you guys noticed but scenes even in this seem like they just go on too long like just about every single scene is like anywhere from five to like 15 seconds too long where they should have said cut because there's nothing else going on in the scene that happens a lot in this film i don't know if anybody else noticed it oh yeah almost every one of them it just seems like it goes on forever and the movie throughout the whole thing it feels padded i mean it's a nine i think it's 93 minutes and man this movie could have been This movie could have been an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing is, I'm pretty sure minimum feature length back then was pretty close to 70 minutes. So why do we need... 1990? Yeah, I think it was a little... uh, What's the word? No, it's it's, it's been 90 minutes for a long time, man. Oh, okay, okay. Well, we have stuff that's in the 80s now. Like, for example, The Shallows was 87 minutes. That's practically 90 minutes, Dave. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, going back to the hallway scene where the two sisters are trying to figure out the door panel while the bodyguard shoots at the alien, one of the sisters, her acting is perhaps the worst in the film because she is smiling whenever she's supposed to be scared. And I don't think smiling is the proper fear response when you're about to be eaten. See, I think she just couldn't help smiling at the gigantic fucking dick monster coming down the hallway because he's so fucking funny. <laughs> so what about the the monster? You know, it gets revealed. What do you have to say about, like, the monster design and stuff like that, Dave? 
I liked it. I liked all the creature effects. All the creature effects were great. Uh, the stop motion was lacking a bit, but I liked all the creature effects. Even the miniatures were, which were not good. I still appreciated the creature itself. And so basically what I'm saying is the effects were great overall and very creative, but the execution of those effects failed in a few scenes. Yeah. I think the same thing. Like, like I said, the, the fact that the monster is basically a big veiny dick is pretty hilarious. <laughs> so, uh, it just ha- every time I, he was on screen, I'm just laughing hysterically. And, uh, you know, his toothy, like, jaws is just so funny and derpy looking. So I thought he was pretty, like, I don't know, just, it was, it was, it was well done. And I did like the smaller puppets. I especially, there was, like, a alligator one. You only get, like, one little look at him, but he was pretty cool. Um, and at, towards the end, you, Get some uh, pretty competent, I thought, stop motion. It's not the best stop motion we've seen, but it's not terrible either. Yeah, it's not like yeah, the stop motion in Piranha. It's worse than that, but it's yeah, not yeah, like, much worse. But not as good. Well, one thing, one thing I thought was good about the stop motion that I noticed: there were scenes of stop motion that weren't that well done. There was only a couple of them that were very bad. But there was a lot of scenes with the entire monster moving down the corridor that were stop motion that I thought were well done. And what I really liked about those is it was stop motion, but the red lights for the alarms in the building were flashing with the stop motion. So they must have gone through and like timed the intensity of the lights as they were doing the stop motion. And it was really consistent and the monster movement still looked fairly natural and actually pretty good in some spots. So I thought, I thought that was quite the accomplishment. It's just too bad it took place in this container that kind of sucked. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't notice that. That takes a lot of attention to detail for like yes. the practical effects artists to do that, to incorporate that. All right, Dave, what else but, you got? Aside from the special effects, I like the special effects. That's perhaps the one, and the references to the thing I thought were poorly executed, but amused me. But in terms of more negatives, unfortunately, most of it's negatives. Um, what happens is this bodyguard is very dedicated to killing this monster. His dedication to killing this monster is I'm going to sacrifice myself to kill this monster. And when he's asked about it by the two girls, his response is, I have a job to do. And let me tell you this, I have a job to do is not sufficient motivation to put your life on the line to kill a giant monster. And what I they don't think, do a good job building these guys up either, you know, in, insofar as trying to build them up to be like tough guys or mercenaries or something like that. They look like just two guys in cheap suits that could be ahead of you in line at Subway ordering a teriyaki chicken sub. There's nothing special about them at all. There's an older white guy and a black guy. And the dorky kid that is uh, Sherry's boyfriend, you know, almost holds his own in a fight against one of them a little bit, even though he's like this doughboy, dorky looking guy. It's they they have no weight. They have no no gravity whatsoever. They're not intimidating. They don't look like tough guys. They don't look military. They don't look mercenary. They don't look like anything like that. They just look like regular Joes in suits. They're they're the least intimidating, like cleaners that are ever going to come and show up at your workplace. Mm hmm. Yeah. But another thing I want to talk about is they don't have any character development and, or character motivation, but this character motivation issue extends to the main guy who gets infected, the infected person. Because Michael. Michael, yes. After the alien, after the monster gets zapped with electricity, 
what happens is he turns back into human form and the bodyguard goes up to him and it's like, I'm sorry, I have to kill you because whatever, I just have to kill you. And then the guy smiles as he transforms back into the alien and then like kills people or whatever he does. So the smile leads me to believe that he enjoyed being a monster. So what's his motivation for enjoying being a monster? I don't know. I think it's just he was it, it might have reverted him to human form, but he was still the alien or whatever, you know, since he just turns right back into it again. Around that point in the movie, it's hard to it's hard to even pay attention to what's supposed to be going on or the story that's <laughs> being told because it's so stupid. Yes, I 100 percent agree. I found myself zoning out quite a bit, especially in the last 15 minutes or so, last yep. 20 minutes. Especially the one one good thing that last fifteen or twenty minutes is when the guy's face starts molding back into alien form. It looks a lot like the practical effects in Society, a nineteen eighty nine film that we reviewed previously on this podcast. So I like that. Those special effects were really well done. Yeah, where his grin stretches like all the way back to his ear. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. that looked pretty good. Yeah, I thought that I liked that a lot. And then for the last five minutes of the film, I, all I wrote in my notes were in all caps, but why? For example, <laughs> the two girls survived the monster onslaught and walked down a hall. And I thought they're going to walk off into the sunset. It's going to fade to black. We're going to get the credits. But nope, their boyfriend runs in and he's like, hey, guys, I survived. My question is, why does he have to survive? Like, she yeah, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. She doesn't care about it. And the audience certainly is not grieving. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, and my At other. Least not for that. Yeah. <laughs> Good question. The audience is grieving because they're sitting in a the theater watching the movie. <laughs> but another thing is the frog monster that initially infected the infected guy has been mutating through over the course of the film. And then he turns into a giant monster and hovers over the building. At the at very end of the film. And my question is there, why does the frog monster have to turn into a giant thing? I get it's for like a stinger type ending, but, but why? Who cares? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. No, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just they had a cool effect, idea for an effect, so they wanted to do it. That's what yeah. it seemed like pretty much. And something I want to end on is I think it's a lamentation by the editor or director or something because at the end of the credits, there's a, because I always watch movies to the end of the credits because I think the, I think the music over the end credits is important for the tone they wanted to give off. But anyway, at the very end of the credits, there's something in quotes that says, I don't get paid enough for this shit. And I think. I think that's a direct quotation by either the director or the actors or maybe everyone involved in this film. They know this film is shit and they know they don't get paid enough for it. So the editor just decided to put it in and the quotation is not attributed to anyone. So I assume it's everyone. Everyone's saying this. Everyone is lamenting their involvement in this film. This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. Yeah. So... Long story short, I really like the special effects. The special effects very much elevate this film into something that's almost watchable. But I cannot endorse something that is this incompetent in this many ways. So two out of ten for me. All right, Jordan. Uh, incompetent. 
competent in many ways is pretty much how I would sum up this film as well. Uh, It's weird because it has these weird moments of clarity where it forgets to take itself seriously and almost has some charm, but then it just, the deliveries are so poor throughout that it can't pull it together. And there's just so much meaningless nonsense going on and so much meaningless dialogue, so much padding. It, It drags on so much, but the fact that everything is just a little bit disjointed and awkward actually made it oh funnier to me and and all that unintentional comedy uh made it watchable and and let and let me get through it better and the penis monster is so fucking funny looking <laughs> you just you can't help but laugh every time you see him so i have to based on those things i recommend it if you do like cheesy bad movies um and i would give it a 6.5 out of 10 Wow. All right. So that's pretty much all you had to say about that. You're just like, yeah, yeah well, just we, we the covered all my points basically because <laughs> when we, what Dave Hurry brought up pretty up much everything I was so going to say. Get so. out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, this is uh, most of the movies that I have you guys watch is stuff that I've seen before. And again, most of the stuff, stuff I really like. This is something where I had caught bits and pieces of it and I even watched some of the beginning of it. Uh, before I had the idea to have us do it, but I'd never watched it all the way through. So this was the first time I've actually watched it all the way through and uh, I don't regret it, but it's not, it's isn't on my uh, short list of movies that I'd want to tell people to watch. Like none of the acting's good in it. It's, it's some of it's completely terrible. I like the stuff with Michael's transformation insofar as the effects, the effects on those effects were my favorite. It was something, there was something very uncanny and, uh, frightening about the way his body maintained its form, but it was also distorted. And I think they did a great job with the effects. The effects for his transformation are almost out of place in this turd of a movie. Yeah, They're, they're very well done. Yeah, yeah, I agree with the effects. As you mentioned, I should have brought this up. You mentioned the uncanniness of his body. I think the effects in this are a great way in which a filmmaker or special effects artists, because I don't want to attribute the effects to the people who made this film, um, how they can create an effect that is both uncanny and abject. So by combining these two styles of horror, they're able to create a cool effect. So in other words, yes, I agree. The transformation effects were great. Yeah, the uh, the special effects supervisor was Dan Taylor, who had his own like special effects business, and I guess he was a friend of the producer or something like that. But he went on to do stuff for Industrial Light and Magic. I don't I don't remember what he does for ILM, but he was pretty successful and went over there and did some stuff for some movies. Uh, the guy who did the makeup effects supervision. Uh, Vincent J. Gostini, he went on to do some stuff that I like. I mean, he did, you know, Jay and Silent Bob and stuff like that, which is not really, you know, my kind of special effects. But he did Doom. He did I Am Legend. He did Cabin Fever 3, which is better than Cabin Fever 2. And uh, he did one of those VHS movies. But uh, it was good effects in this in some spots. Some spots, I didn't like some of the smaller creatures. I thought they were a little static, kind of reminded me of the ones in Troll. Uh, How about but the, the stop motions. What'd you th- the tentacle uh, effects when he's laying on his back are okay. When they shoot out of the monster to grab people, if that's what you're talking about, that was yeah. just mediocre in my opinion. Well, and it seemed like this movie spent a lot of time with people like holding a rope. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, they're just holding a rope, screaming, and like yeah. it's yeah, just there's... a shot of that for like 35 seconds, and then it'll cut to something else, and then it'll go back. To it'll that. cut back to the monster with the tentacle sticking out of its chest and just wavering around a little bit, then cuts back to them holding onto the tentacle. Uh, which brings yeah, up another thing I wanted to bring up. 
one of the worst plot holes in the movie is at the beginning, Michael gets bitten by that little alien, and he starts turning into an alien. Throughout this movie, the monster is biting people. It's shooting them with tentacles. It's shooting these little hockey pucks with teeth, kind of reminiscent of uh, without warning at people. Yeah. And uh, well, then they're getting bit. They're getting stabbed. They're getting fluid on them. But they're not turning into aliens. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, they even go so far in one of the science moments to point out that it has like a venom injector. They make a point to mention it, but then it never comes up again. Yeah, yeah so I, he shoots the venom injector hockey puck at a teenage girl. It sticks to her chest. What does she do? Much like Jack Palance, she just pulls it off and throws it back at the monster. <laughs> I That's actually great think venom. It the monster. I think the monster like groans or something in response to this. So I know I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but another thing to yeah. mention about these rope effects is in some shots we can tell that somebody off screen is holding the other end of the rope behind the monster effect. It's very clear the rope is not coming from the monster in some shots. And that was really, what's the word? Not off-putting, but it took me out of the film even more than I already was. So Michael's transformation's good. The whimpers and groans he's making all that time are great. But again, that whole whole thing about him suffering and stuff like that, if they would have paid more attention to that and would have incorporated into it more with the the people who are in the room with him instead of them being completely cold and sociopathic and almost completely ignoring him, you know, that would have made it a lot better. So they kind of shot themselves in the foot with that. The pacing in the movie is it's bizarre. You know, like the third act is like a half to three quarters of the movie. They can't build up the tension or anything like that. So you don't get a whole lot out of it. You feel bored most of the time. By the time you get to the climax, you're so disinterested in what's going on that when they throw all this confusing bullshit at you about the monster's dead, it's not dead, it's a person, it's not a person. Oh, it's really big, now it disappeared. You don't care. You just don't care about the movie anymore, and it just insults you, and it makes you dislike what you're seeing. And the attempts at humor did nothing to help that pacing. There was no tension to cut with it, and it wasn't funny to begin with. Like, the only thing in the movie that was remotely funny was when the bodyguard-type guy just kind of said he called the woman a bitch for not hitting the laser soon enough or something. That was as close as it came (laughs) to humor. And he was kind of like, everything he delivered, he delivered like he was, like, uh... You won't, guys don't know what I'm talking about. But his delivery was like Phil Hartman doing Frank Sinatra on Saturday Night Live. It was, uh, it was just, it, it, it's like he was just imitating that. He wasn't a good actor either. I didn't care about any of the characters in this movie. They didn't care about each other. No one cared about what was going on, myself <laughs> included. Nobody making the movie cared about the movie. Yeah, it sure seems that way. All in all, this is a poopy movie, but the creativity and the effects it utilizes, kind of makes it worth watching if you have any inclination towards like sci-fi or horror or you know that kind of thing it might it's worth watching once i guess so i'm going to give it like a five out of ten maybe it's a 4.5 maybe it's a 5.5 but probably a five out of ten is what i'll give it so check it out it's something different and you probably haven't seen it and actually i got an idea for a much better film than this well, just over the course of this discussion, I was just thinking about this as you were giving your talk, Mike. So what if the entire film was the guy getting infected and then the whole transformation sequence is the entire film, except instead of being a horror film, it's a horror comedy, much like this film, except instead it's the comedic interactions between 
the male scientist and the female scientist, except played by actual comedic actors that have a sense of timing, written well, and drawn out to create tension in certain scenes, much like The Fly or anything that has a better transformation, a better transformation movie. So basically what you're saying is, hey, let's let's make this movie, but make it better. Yes, yes, pretty much. Okay, that's that's a revolutionary idea, Dave. Let's move <laughs> on to our mailbag. The mailbag's empty once again. People don't email anymore, I guess. But we did get hit up on Facebook. A guy named Austin F. hit us up and said he looks forward to the podcast every week, told us to keep up the great job. Thanks for that, Austin. And on Reddit, a user named Happy Lar or Happy Larry was nice enough to recommend our podcast in a comment on the horror subreddit where someone had asked for recommendations for horror podcasts. And he listed us alongside some much more well-known and better established horror podcasts. That's really encouraging. Thanks for that happy lair or happy lar. We're now available on SoundCloud. We're now available on Google Play. We had to apply for that and got accepted. So if you're one of those people that hates Apple and iTunes, there's some more options for you. And no matter where you check us out, please take the time to leave comments, ratings, and reviews. On some of these platforms, that kind of thing can help expose us to new listeners. As far as next week goes, uh, I have no idea what we're going to do yet. Uh, I haven't really thought of anything. This one kind of threw me off because it sucked a little more than I expected. So, you guys got anything else to say? Not particularly. I hope everybody enjoyed listening. Yeah, I hope they enjoyed it then more than I enjoyed watching the movie. (laughs) Adios. Adios. Bye, everybody. Okay, so I'll see you later, huh? Quit eating the crackers, Dave. Jesus. Sorry, sorry. Put it down.